Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where jiu-jitsu practitioners open their minds to new ideas and concepts about personal development, entrepreneurship, jiu-jitsu, and life. Our mission is to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way to support you during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 141. Today we're excited to have Chatri Sitiotong, the founder, chairman, and CEO of One Championship, Asia's largest sports media property. One ranked number two overall in 2021 digital viewership with over 13.8 billion video views across Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. He sits just behind the number one ranked NBA, which boasts over 14.5 billion for 2021. The UFC is number five with 6.6 billion. Chatri has over 35 years of martial arts experience as a student, fighter, teacher, and coach. He's a certified senior Muay Thai instructor under Kru Diotong Senanan. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing correctly. He also holds a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Master Hanzo Gracie. For Chatri, the biggest misconception about martial arts is that it's about fighting. He believes that the true essence of martial arts is the journey of continuous self-improvement mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Through martial arts, Chatri inherited integrity, humility, honor, respect, courage, discipline, and more. Above all, it empowered him with an unbreakable warrior spirit to conquer adversity in life. Born in Thailand, his rags to riches life story has inspired millions worldwide on BBC, CNN, Financial Times, Bloomberg, and other media. At his lowest point, he survived on $4 per day in the United States. His only suitcase contained everything he owned, and he lived on one meal daily. Yet, he didn't grow up in poverty as a child in Thailand. Instead, Chatri grew up in a loving, well-to-do home. Life only changed when his parents lost everything in the Asian financial crisis. Poverty ripped his family apart, and his father abandoned the family, leaving Chatri to pick up the pieces as the oldest son. Chatri is a philanthropist motivational speaker, and a serial entrepreneur who has founded, invested in, or served as a CEO of several successful companies, including One Championship and Evolve MMA. He holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and a BA from Tufts University. In this episode, Chachari will share his insights on martial arts, entrepreneurship, philanthropy, the challenges and rewards of building a global sports media brand, and much more. So get ready to learn from one of the most influential and inspired figures in martial arts and business right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Oos. Do you believe that Jiu-Jitsu has the power to change lives and make the world a better place? Unfortunately, millions worldwide don't have access to Jiu-Jitsu because they are unaware of its existence or cannot afford it. That is where the Adopt-A-Social Project program comes in. This program, created by the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, supports social projects worldwide that offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes in their at-risk communities. These projects inspire, impact, and improve lives by utilizing Jiu-Jitsu as a personal and social development tool. Anyone can support this program with a 12-month commitment. Whether you own a Jiu-Jitsu academy, association, business, or individual, you can help make a difference. 
Join us in supporting the Adopt a Social Project program and help us bring the power of jiu-jitsu to those who need it most. Visit our website to learn more about how you get involved. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, inspiring, impacting, and improving lives, one tribe at a time. Chatri, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Gustavo. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate your time. And I know you have a lot going on. We got a huge event coming up for all the listeners who are not familiar with one championship. If you bring some more awareness next week, May 5th, I'm going to release this podcast before the fight. And you have a sold out event, first time in US, live from Amazon Prime. How excited are you for, for this event coming up? Um, I'm here in New York City um, in my hotel suite here looking out over Central Park. And, you know, I have to pinch myself, Gustavo. I'm uh, living the dream. I can't believe uh, we're coming to the U.S. 11 years after I started one. I never thought that, you know, one would um, become a, the global property that it is that, uh, you know, um, it just uh, blows my mind away. And the fact that we sold out in the U.S. with zero marketing, all we did was announce the date. May 5th, and uh, a few fights, and it just sold out. It's crazy. We sold out several weeks ago. Um, of course, May 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live uh, and free on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, it's going to be huge for us. So we have three world title fights across different different disciplines. We have Adriano Moraes versus Demetrius Johnson 3, the trilogy. They both knocked each other out, and this is the third one. Um, let's see what happens. Uh, we have Mikey Musumichi against uh, Osama. Uh, the current Nogi world champion in submission grappling. Uh, Mikey is our current world champion and obviously one of the greatest pound-for-pound jiu-jitsu practitioners out there, or athletes, world champions. Uh, And then we have a Muay Thai world championship fight as well. So uh, the card is stacked from uh, top to bottom, and I'm sure the American fans are going to love it. Um, Super excited to be here. Awesome. And one of the things, too, that we have a lot of maybe people listening maybe have heard that one, but doesn't know the details or how they work. And I've, I've listened to some of your interviews and I saw one that I've, that uh, I thought was awesome. I believe you're talking with Ariel Hawani. And then they're talking about the talk of the UFC being the number one MMA organization. And they have Bellator PFL, who is number two. And then you mentioned like MMA is one of the things that we offer. And then I really like how you put that in like you're, like a martial arts organization is not just the MMA. So if we could explain to the to the listener who actually are not familiar with one, and you just mentioned how you have different styles and and it's so unique and and it's awesome. It's a great opportunity for everyone who loves martial arts to be entertained with di- different styles. Yeah. So. UFC is the world's largest MMA organization. One is the world's largest martial arts organization. Uh, according to Nielsen, you know, the uh, the, the data, um, uh, media data viewership uh, um, company, one is larger than the UFC in terms of viewership numbers around the world uh, on TV, larger than the UFC on social media, organic video views, and digital organic video views. Uh, then they see we're actually the largest combat sports organization in the world. Um, just to give you perspective in that 2022 industry report, they, they, they named the top 20 largest global sports properties. You can go to Nielsen.com and download that report. But, um, we, our TV reach was 459, no, sorry, 400 and 405, 406 million unique, um, viewers 
for the year uh for that year and ufc was at 259 million um that compares to i think nba was at 500 or 600 million and uh epl and champion league were around there as well 400 500 million um so that's number one is obviously the viewership numbers. But what makes one very different is the fact that we have the very best martial arts on the planet across every discipline. Um, again, whether it's mixed martial arts, whether it's Muay Thai, whether it's submission grappling, whether it's kickboxing, um, and the list goes on. Um, we're truly the home of martial arts as the world's largest martial arts org organization. And um, so if you take a look at um, mixed martial arts, we have the likes of Demetrius Johnson, um, obviously the, the greatest of all time for mixed martial arts. And you have, you know, um, in grappling, which you'll be familiar with is Mikey Musumichi or the Rule Tolo brothers. Uh, for me, they're the pound for pound greatest grapplers on the planet. Um, then you have kickboxing, Georgia Petrosian, Super Bon, Chingis Alasov, the very best world championship strikers on the planet. And Muay Thai, Rotang and Nong Oh and Jonathan Haggerty and a bunch of others. So, um, uh, what makes it very interesting and exciting for fans is that it's like the Olympics of martial arts. You get the very, very best world championship martial artists competing under different rule sets. Um, there's no argument about uh, about um, about uh, who's the best and who's not the best. It's 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 at one. You know what? What I'm curious about next week too. How is going to be the crowd? Because I feel that. As you mentioned, a lot of martial artists, a lot of practitioners that are actually going to be there. For example, I was at the ADCC right in December. It was a great experience. And what was I really liked was how the crowd is just educated. Everyone, there's no fights in the crowd. There's like everything. It, it was it was really cool. And maybe if you try, if the UFC goes like, hey, we're going to put a, a grappling match here. I don't think the UFC crowd kind of would be like no no i want to see stand up they you know that would be different but uh, i like that uh at one i think that is different than having them that crowd that enjoys martial arts and be like nice you're going to see some grappling now we're going to see some standard and by the way if for people who are listening and having a watch you know the muay thais with the little gloves that thing is insane those guys are incredible yeah i agree well you know Gustavo, I travel all over the world for work, and everywhere I travel, I always uh, I try make sure I train every day. Um, so here I'm in New York City. I'll be training at Henzo Gracie Academy, which is where I, I began my jiu-jitsu journey. Um, and uh, I go obviously train Muay Thai as well. And what I love about that is is you know I have a good feeling of the martial arts community, the practitioner community, as you pointed out. All over the world, because I, you know, whether I'm in Tokyo or London or New York, doesn't matter where I'm. I'm always training, and it's very clear amongst martial artists, um, whether you're a casual martial artist, a beginner martial artist, or an expert martial artist, um, one is you know far above the UFC when it comes to authenticity, when it comes to what um, martial artists um, relate to uh, in terms of the honor, integrity, the, the discipline, the work ethic that requires for you to be a black belt and bjj i'm only a brown belt um i hope to get my black belt in the next year or so but the point is that you know we represent true martial arts uh as the home of martial arts and i think that echoes very strongly resonates very strongly with all the martial artists around the world again whether you're a white belt or a blue belt uh whether you're a muay thai beginner or an expert there's something about one that everybody loves because there's a, a deep-rooted sense of authenticity um, and of course, I am a lifelong martial artist too. You know, I've been doing 
38 years of Muay Thai. I've been a student, uh, a fighter, uh, a coach, a teacher, you know, now a CEO. And then jujitsu I've been doing for about 16 years. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a lifelong journey for me as a lifelong martial artist. But um, that was very important to me. When I started one, I want to make sure that I represented martial arts in its authenticity. I represented the martial arts community uh, with truth and honor and respect. Um, and much like the Olympics, you know, if you look at Olympics, it's values, heroes, and stories that make the Olympics, right? It's the values of sportsmanship. It's a, the heroes of every country winning the gold medal or whatever. It's a story of overcoming odds, impossible odds, uh, triumphing over poverty or whatever the story might, might be. Um, that is a story, that is a formula of success for one. It doesn't have to be about, you know, trash talking about somebody's wife that you're going to fight or their kids or trash talking about someone's religion to sell a pay-per-view. That's not martial arts. That's actually, that's, you know, I think a lot of martial arts would say that's just disgusting human behavior. It's nothing to do with martial arts. Martial arts is what we all learn on the mats, training for endless hours, you know, by training in jiu-jitsu, and I'll just tell you about my jiu-jitsu journey, I was already an expert in Muay Thai when I started jiu-jitsu here at Henzo Gracie Academy. That journey over the last 16 years has, has just reminded me um, all over again about the beauty of martial arts and, and how, you know, even though through thousands of hours of training jiu-jitsu, yes, I'm getting much better in every aspect of the game, but what has jiu-jitsu really given me? It's given me, of course, a community of friends and, and, and lifelong um, uh, uh, families uh, around the world. But it's given me discipline, even sharpened more, you know, from my Muay Thai background. It's given me humility, reminder every day, of, you know, you can put uh, a brown belt on your, on, your, on your gi, but if you can't perform as a brown belt, you're not really a brown belt. Um, it gives you, you know, um, honor, respect. It gives you... Um, you know, work ethic. It, it, it helps you to overcome your insecurities, your fears. Um, I truly believe that martial arts is one of the greatest platforms to unlock human potential. Um, you know, if everybody in the world, okay, Gustavo, every child did martial arts, there'd be far less bullying. There'd be a lot more friendships. And there would just be a lot more, a lot less violence because when you learn martial arts, and you become an expert, you know, your tendency is not for violence because you know how violent martial arts can be. Um, it's something amazing. It's a, there's a real power um, in doing martial arts for a lifetime. And I wish I could share that knowledge with everybody. And But through one, I'm able to do that. You know, we have uh, millions of, of, of uh, tens of millions of viewers every show. And um, we're making a big impact uh, around the world. And, and, and here we are in America, you know, May 5th, live on Amazon Prime Video, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Friday, May 5th, um, showcasing the very best martial arts on the planet. Um, but like you said, there is something magical or mystical about one because it represents true martial arts, authentic martial arts. Changing gears, you are an incredible entrepreneur. My question is, when you were younger, do you do you remember having early entrepreneurial tendencies or something that got developed more when you moved to the United States? What would you say? Um, 
my father was an entrepreneur, but he went bankrupt and then eventually abandoned the family. Um, so my mother ingrained in me never to be an entrepreneur because she her vision for me was to get a safe job at a Fortune 500 company. And when I came to America, um, when I had to leave Thailand after my father went bankrupt and abandoned the family, I had one suitcase and that was all of my life's belongings, dirt poor. I ate one meal a day. Um, and um, I never imagined that my life would be where it is today. Um, I was fortunate to go to, you know, um, a great school. Like I went, I went to Harvard uh, for, for my MBA and I had a lot of job offers from these Fortune 500 companies. Um, but something in me just, I don't know, I didn't want to work for a big company. I wanted to do something. And so I became an entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 26, 27, around there. Um, it started in Silicon Valley. And that was my first, uh, it was an internet software company, raised 40 million in venture capital and eventually sold the company. Um, that was my first foray. And then, and then eventually I came to New York City here where I am right now, looking overlooking, uh, again, I have so many memories here in New York City. Um, I had my own uh, $500 million uh, global hedge fund that I started. And then um, then uh, one, and then I also have a chain of martial arts academies uh, evolve and I have a bunch of other um, investments and businesses. But my main one right now which has 100% of my time is, is, is one because you know, it's uh, we're broadcasting that we have live events every week broadcast to 180 countries around the world. Um, you know, in Brazil, we're we're broadcast on on Global and Combate. Um, But every region of the world, like in, in the US, it's Amazon Prime and in Europe and Asia, Africa, we're in Supersport, um, all the biggest broadcasters in the world. And so I feel like um, I didn't know I wanted to be an entrepreneur until I became one. That, that's the best way I could tell you. It's like, because my mom had ingrained in me, ingrained in me so long to, to seek safety, but I just, I don't know, something inside of me couldn't. And I remember my very first company, you know, I was dirt poor. My mom and I slept in sleeping bags on the office floor because we couldn't afford anything. And we have microwave, you know, the frozen microwave food for, for our meal, you know, because I couldn't afford it. I couldn't even afford a bed. Um, and think about it. So I turned down Fortune 500 job offers of these big companies to do this crazy life when I was 26, 27, sleeping bags on the office floor with my mother. It's not normal. So that's why I feel like something inside of me told me I have to do it, right? Um, but I'm glad I did because, you know, out of my, I don't know, 25 years as a, in my business career, I think 20 years has been um, as an entrepreneur by myself. I worked for, for others for five years, something like that around there. But the rest of the time I worked for myself. And that experience, I think, was very vital for me to be able to, you know, make one, uh, you know, Asia's largest billion-dollar global sports property. Um, I don't think if I hadn't have all that experience, I would have been able to do it. Um, I also realized, too, Gustav, when I was very poor, I thought that being rich was the goal, making a lot of money. Because I wanted to end my mother's suffering. You know, when you see your mother crying and out of hopelessness and desperation, when she can only eat uh, frozen microwave food for a dollar fifty. You know, those little small little ones, or watching your mother sleep in a sleeping bag with you on the on the office floor. 
not something I, I like to, I'm, I'm proud of, but um, I thought that if I get really rich, then all my problems will be solved. And what made me realize, you know, it was in New York City, I did become rich. Um, but I was very, um, I had a lot of emptiness in my soul. I had, you know, houses and cars, whatever you want to call it, but I had a lot of emptiness in my soul. And it's because I climbed to the top of the wrong mountain. I was living society's definition of success. I was wearing a suit and tie every day to work, making millions of dollars, but inside I was very empty. And when I came back to Asia, I said to myself, I'm going to do what I love. It's martial arts. I've been doing martial arts my whole life. And I got very lucky that I was able to combine my business background, my entrepreneurial background with my greatest passion in life, which is martial arts. And I was able to build something like one, um, you know, it's truly a labor of love. It's not about business. It's not about money. It's about representing martial arts in its authenticity around the world, inspiring millions and eventually billions of fans to dream more, do more, be more life through our heroes, you know, our, our world champions and their values and their stories can inspire humanity. And that, at the end of the day, is what martial arts is. That's the end of the day, what's, what one is. Um, it's it's much bigger than just money and status and things like that. For me, it's, it's like, I can't express it in any way. It's, you know, I, I, I owe everything to martial arts. I owe my life to martial arts. And I want everyone to to see the beauty of martial arts, and, and I want everyone to take martial, uh, you know, to take up martial arts, join the jujitsu academy, join the Muay Thai gym, uh, and watch their life improve uh, tremendously. And that's would make me very happy. It's incredible. One thing I I relate with. I've been living in the United States now for twenty four years. I have lived twenty four years of my life in Brazil. Twenty four in Brazil right now. Uh, actually, forty eight and. It's a different mindset when you come from a, uh, in my case, from, from Brazil, you, you came from, uh, from Thailand. It's, it's a different mindset when you see things here. So how was emotionally for you having all the background that you, that you had as a child, seeing difficulties there, they're very different in the U.S., and how that inspired you to just keep taking advantage of the so many opportunities you us have i think sometimes i'm sorry for the listeners especially people who've been living in us for a long time a lot of people take for granted what they have in the united states the opportunities they have here and everyone has great opportunities how was your mindset back then coming in to deal with a new phase of your life well this is why i spent over 18 years of my life here in america and i think it's truly one of the greatest countries in the world um, of course, it gave me an incredible education, but it gave me opportunity. You know, only in America can you come with one suitcase with all of your life's belongings and make something of yourself because just by working hard, this is the American dream. Most countries don't give that opportunity. Most countries, at least like let's say in Thailand, when you're poor, if you're born poor, you're going to be poor for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what school you go to. Um, it doesn't matter what you do. In America, you know, 
you know, I was a kid with the one suitcase. And somehow I, I made it because the American dream, because of, of this, of how the foundation that America was built on. Um, so I have a lot of gratitude to America. And uh, I don't think I would be the person I am today without my educational experiences and my work experiences here in America. One thing I can say is I competed against the very best in the world in school at Harvard as an entrepreneur at Silicon Valley, in Silicon Valley and in Wall Street uh, against um, other uh, investors and entrepreneurs. And uh, that training, I didn't know at the time, but all that training was the foundation for me to build one. Now, we have a lot of people who are listening. They are some some of them are they're already entrepreneurs. Some are in transition, thinking they're in a job that they don't like, and some of them they want to open their own jujitsu school or they whatever type of business. And we have a lot of listeners like that. They're like in that phase, like should I stay or should I go? Or the fear, you know, the uh, the fear of the unknown. How was for you that transition of? I don't want to work for someone. I want to do my own thing. Uh, you you touch a little bit about it, a little bit of resistance from, from your mother. So how was emotionally for you to say like, you know what, I'm all in and actually because it's not entrepreneurship is not for everyone. That's for sure. And so how was that specifically transition for you emotionally speaking? So my biggest advice, first of all, is just because you want to be an entrepreneur does not mean you should be an entrepreneur, okay? 6% of the 8 billion people on this planet are entrepreneurs. 97% of new companies go bankrupt within three years. 97% of new companies go bankrupt within three years. To build a billion-dollar company, 1 billion, is 1 in 10 million startups, one in 10 million. So the odds are already stacked against you to be an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur. And here's the big mistake I see in the martial arts industry. I get a black belt in jiu-jitsu, I'm gonna go open my own school. You're a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but you're a white belt in business. You're not gonna succeed. It's very, very hard. I mean, it depends on what you call success, right? But I mean, if you want to have 100 students, okay, you, you will, you'll get 100 students. But to get beyond that, it's very, very difficult, which is why you see a lot of black belts all over America have maybe 100, 200 students maximum, barely getting by. And because the truth is, how do you build a business? you got to be a black belt in business. I am a black belt. I am a 10-time Mundial's world champion black belt Okay, in business. I am only a brown belt in, in jiu-jitsu. I'm a black belt quote, equivalent in Muay Thai, but I'm not a world champion. But you say for business, I am a world champion, okay? So, you know, it's, it's one thing to do, want to do something, okay? It's another thing to make sure you have the skills. So imagine you have a white belt, okay? Or a blue belt. And he says, hey, Gustavo, I'm just, I don't care. I'm going to go to the black belt division and go compete in, in the Mundials. Well, man, if you're going to compete against black belts like Kate and Tyrul Tolo, and you are just a blue belt who's done jiu-jitsu for two years, 
you are never going to survive. It's the same thing for business. If you're going to do a business, most people who survive after three years are black belts because they survive for three years, right? 97% of businesses fail in the first three years. So by definition, you are jumping into a sea of sharks, or if I will use Hickson's analogy, you are a lion, but the ocean in an, in the ocean where the shark is, is the king. Um, that's the biggest problem. So it's not about just wanting to be an entrepreneur, Gustavo. You have to look at yourself honestly and say, do I have the skills? Now, if you want to be an entrepreneur, then make sure you have purple belt skills in business. It doesn't mean you have to be a black belt day one, but purple belt. But you cannot be like, I'm a black belt jiu-jitsu, let me open an academy. And you're a white belt in, in business. So lucky thing is in, in life, success leaves clues, okay? Look at the, the most successful jiu-jitsu academy, arguably, in, in the country is Henzo Gracie Academy or uh, 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 Gracie Academy in um, uh, um, Henner, Henner School, Henner and uh, uh, Huron School. I think actually Henzo's is probably bigger uh, in terms of, you know, I think he has a few thousand students. He knows about business. If you want to know about how to build a jiu-jitsu school with 2,000, 3,000 students, go talk to Henzo. Asking what was the key for success. Of course, there are many Gracies, but why is it he has the biggest school in the world, right? Um, he know he's a black belt in business. Um, it's not that he came to New York first. Yes, he came to New York first, but there's plenty of jiu-jitsu schools. You know, you go around the block in New York City, there's tons of jiu-jitsu school. Uh, Marcelo Garcia's, uh, you know, Vitor uh, Hibero, uh, tons of jiu-jitsu schools. Why is it that Henzo's is, 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 is so big? It's because... Um, He's a black belt. So I believe in learning. If, if you want to open a school and you want a thousand students, it's very possible. Okay. But you got to learn the purple belt skills. You, you, you cannot just say, I'm a black belt. Jiu-jitsu. You cannot just say to yourself, I'll give you an example. Hodger, Hodger Gracie, good friend of mine. Um, I, I, I mentor Hodger on, on, on business, right? Because he's a blue belt in business. Now he's a purple belt. When he opened his academy, he could never get above like 400 people, 300 people. And he had a big problem. And then during the pandemic, he almost went bankrupt. I mean, Hodger Gracie, the 10-time world champion, arguably the greatest jiu-jitsu uh, champion in history. He can't make money from jiu-jitsu from a school. It's not his jiu-jitsu skills. It's that he was a businessman, a rookie business. So he came to Singapore, came to Evolve. I taught him a lot of stuff. I went to uh, London. I gave him all the secrets. And now I think he has uh, uh, 1,500 students. Like, you got to learn. You go, You have to know. You cannot just be a good jujitero and say, I'm going to open an academy. It doesn't work that way. Business is a whole different skill. It's like saying, I'm going to go to, again, the best analogy I can give you is, I'm a blue belt. I'm going to go compete in the black belt division of the Mundials. Good hmm. luck. <laughs> and no? I'll... I want to be mindful of, of your time. So we're getting close to the interview. One of the things I want to talk with you about is philanthropy and community work. One of the things we do here at the podcast, I interview community leaders, uh, CEOs of nonprofit organizations. And one of the reasons why I have the podcast too, I co-founded a nonprofit organization in 2010 called Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. 
and our goal is to inspire, impact, and improve lives of in impoverished communities, utilizing jiu-jitsu as a personal and social development tool. So we always try to get the word out of nonprofits and promoting as much. So, And I know that you are involved with philanthropy as well. So I'd love to hear more about some of the work that you guys have done in the past, some of the organizations so people can look for. I always mention, man, help a organization. Uh, I was in Brazil uh, a couple months ago shooting some mini docs with the filming the impact of jiu-jitsu impoverished communities. And when I go there, one of the, the takeaways that, of course, I already realized that, but like the importance of nonprofit and those social projects in especially a third world country, I really don't know what the countries would be without these people that actually, they're not waiting for the government, they're not, they're getting their own hands and they're doing it. So I would love to hear you know, how uh, you or either one or your organizations are involved with philanthropy. So that's a very big part of my own personal mission in life. You know, I, I feel like, I don't know, God or the universe um, gave me incredible opportunities, a lot of blessings, a lot of good luck in life for me to be where I am. And I have, as someone, I have experienced poverty and I've experienced wealth and I've been very lucky. Um, and so I view, really do view it as a deep personal mission to help alleviate in my small, humble way, the injustices of life that I see, whether it's um, poverty, whether it's gender inequality, education inequality, et cetera. So on the global scale, um, one one is partnered with um, Global Citizen, which is um, the world's largest social movement to eliminate um, extreme poverty, um, but also uh, um, solve um, healthcare crises and inequalities of education and whatnot. At the local level, you know, I I really believe my personal mission is to help kids, underprivileged kids. So whether it's orphanages, um, whether it's um, children's homes, whether it's children. Uh, with cancer. Um, I work with a bunch of different organizations. I donate money, I donate resources, I, I donate my time, I donate my company's resources to them um, because I truly believe um, in the power of martial arts, but I truly believe in helping those who are less fortunate. And, and again, my life could have turned out very differently if I turned left or turned right, or I didn't have the luck, or I didn't have blessings or I didn't have this friend or that friend or that mentor to guide me or whatever. Um, and maybe I'd be dirt poor today, but somehow I got very lucky. I have a lot of blessings. And I feel like the only way I can express my gratitude for these blessings is to help others. And so I, I've been doing this for many, 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 many years. Um, this is just part of who I am. So I can list all the organizations that we work with, even to this day, that I work with, even to this day, uh, Boys Town Home, Children's Cancer Foundation, uh, Minds, um, so many. I, I could just go on and on. So, the point being, though, is that you don't have to be rich in order to help people. I began volunteering when I was thirteen or fourteen years old because my mother told me to come to the slums of of uh, of Bangkok, which is like the like the favelas of, of Rio or something, right? Um, and I was volunteering as as a kid then. And that was my first experience. And I guess my mother gave that charity in my heart. You know, that feeling of, of giving. 
and it stuck with me all along. And since then, I've always been a volunteer. I've always been part of charity programs or um, whatnot. And and, and um, to this day, I'm I'm still very heavily involved. And don't wait. My advice to people who are thinking about this is: don't wait until you have X amount of money, or that until you have X amount of age, until you have X amount of success before you help others. You can help others today. You can help one person, two people, five people. And that sense of helping people, it compounds. And it's amazing how the universe somehow rewards you for giving to others. On a personal level, you just feel a lot more... Uh, there's a deeper meaning to your life of, of because you're you're alive and you're helping others. Of course, it feels very good, but you're genuinely changing people's lives. And it's it's circular, you know. A lot of times, I'm helping people, but at the same time, I realize they're helping me because they're giving me um, more inspiration to fight harder. Um, they're giving me beautiful life lessons, you know. Um, uh, one of the the, the uh, charity programs I worked with here in Sing uh, sorry in New York City when I was living here uh, was Project Sunshine. Um, at the time, it was focused on kids who were terminally ill with cancer and, and um, HIV. And I would volunteer at the hospitals here in New York. And it was very sad to see children, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, dying of cancer or or, or HIV. And, you know, this is, again, 20-plus years ago when I was living here. And, um, but the lessons that they gave me were, and I didn't expect that. I thought, I'm going to go help cheer them up. I'm going to go help whatever time they have left to be, let them know they're not alone. But I learned so much about, from these children. You know, it's amazing. When you see a child who you know is going to die of cancer and you see them live so bravely and so joyously, it, you know, it affects you. So my advice to everybody is if you've ever thought about giving or helping, do it now. You can just go to your local hospital. You can go to your local charity organization and start volunteering your time. You can go to a local soup kitchen and, and give money, uh, give uh, help serve food to the, to the homeless. Many ways to help people. And that builds on itself. And somehow it makes you a better person and it makes the world a better place. Beautiful. And that's what we call in, in Brazil, corrente do bem, the, the kindness chain that you help one person, they help another person, and then just keep going on and on. And Chatri, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on your journey of especially coming to the U.S., you know, all the, the struggles and come here and be mentally, emotionally strong to overcome all the odds, build an incredible company. And man, it's, uh, it's very inspiring for people who, you know, this is a short interview. There's a bunch of interviews with Chatria out and uh, on YouTube and other podcasts, and you can learn more about his story and very inspiring. Congratulations, dude. Thank you so much, Gustavo. I appreciate your time. Take care and have a nice day. Thank you, guys. Thank Bye. you. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. 
Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.